0: Dear Father, as we come before you today, we pray that we will be aware that there is a much bigger world out there, a much bigger universe, than our small one here. And indeed, there is a whole world to be won for Christ, and a whole world to know of Jesus Christ, your Son, and to be saved and justified before you. And we pray for all these things, in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Uh, now, I remember watching this movie uh, when I was much younger, and I'm sure that for those of you who are... Uh, Younger, you probably haven't heard of it, but I'm sure you've heard of Jackie Chan. So uh, Jackie Chan made this movie a long time ago called "Who Am I," right? And I remember the pivotal scene of the movie was uh, Jackie Chan. he was standing on the cliff top. I'm sure if you've seen this movie, you can remember. And uh, he's got this, you know, his usual funny Hong Kong accent, and he's shouting off the cliff saying, "Who am I? Who am I?" Right? And uh, at that stage in the movie, uh, he has an identity crisis because he can't remember who he is. And I guess that as we look at today's passage, uh, it's it's sort of that same sort of thing, right? The Book of Romans is all about having an identity crisis. Uh, I remember when I was younger and I went to Australia to study when I was about 12 years old. Uh, I suffered from an identity crisis because I was an Australian. But when I went to Australia, I, I didn't feel very Australian because everybody was white. And I've been raised in Singapore. So I was like, okay, I don't really feel Australian. And I did, at the same time, I didn't feel very Asian because all the Asians who were there at the time were from Hong Kong. And, uh, I didn't speak Cantonese, so I didn't feel very Asian, I didn't feel very, uh, Australian, so I kept asking myself, well, who, who am I? Now, as you look at uh, the book of Romans, I think the church is sort of identifying itself in various ways, and they have an uh, identity crisis. Because the background is the, the church in Rome, which is what the book of Romans is written, to, uh, to, um had, uh, Jewish and Gentile Christians there. And they weren't really sure, okay, is it more important that I was a Jew, or that I was a Gentile, or is it more important that I was a Christian? And the whole book of uh, the book of Romans actually has at its background the idea of, okay, you're more important in your identity, not because you're Jewish or Gentile, but because you're Christian. So it begins, actually, the book of uh, Romans, I'll give you a quick rundown as we come to chapter 5, in the sense where, Uh, The Apostle Paul, as he writes to the the Christians in Rome, he tells them that it's unimportant whether they were Jews or Gentiles to begin with. Because the only difference is the Jewish person, he has the law. He has knowledge of the law. The Gentile person, the non-Jew, he doesn't have knowledge of the law. By the end of the day, it's irrelevant. Because both the Jew and the Gentile, they cannot do the law. They cannot keep the law. And because both of them cannot keep the law, both of them cannot be saved. So in that way, actually, both Jew and Gentile—they are both under God's wrath, under God's anger. Okay, so here, uh, this is God, the crown, and this is his angry, angry face, right? So he, these are all the. Uh, I, sorry, I couldn't find any specific pictures of Gentiles. So these are all Gentiles, right? And uh, he's angry at the Jew as well as the Gentiles because both the Jew and the Gentile cannot. Obey God, they cannot keep the law. But as we go through the book of Romans again, we see that regardless of, next slide, regardless of whether you're a Jew or a Gentile, God has sent his son Jesus and all that anger, instead of being focused on Gentiles or Jews or individuals, it gets focused like a big magnifying glass onto Jesus at the cross. And next slide, and this only happens because both the Jew and the Gentile, they have faith. So it doesn't matter what the background is, it doesn't matter whether you've been circumcised, it doesn't matter whether you have the law, what really counts is to have faith in order to be saved. And before we come to today's passage in chapter 5 verse 12, uh, Paul the Apostle tells us how great it is that we have this faith in Jesus Christ. So if you turn and read your Bibles to chapter 5 verse 9, we can see the background to today's passage. So in the Bible in chapter 5 verse 9. I'll be reading from the NIV 2011. Since we have now been justified by His blood, how much more shall we be saved from God's wrath through Him? For if, while we were God's enemies, we were reconciled to Him through the death of His Son, how much more, having been reconciled, shall we be saved through His life? Not only is this so, but also we also boast in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom... We have now received reconciliation. So the background actually to where we're looking at today is being a Christian, regardless of whether you're a Jew or Gentile, has great benefits. It has eternal benefits because it says there that we are saved from God's wrath. So instead of going to be condemned and having judgment in hell, we are saved from God's wrath we go to heaven. There are relational benefits, because it says there in verse 10, we are reconciled. Reconciled means the relationship was broken, but now the relationship is restored. Okay, there are relational benefits. Instead of being enemies, now we are family. There are legal benefits, because it says there in verse 6, sorry, verse 9, we have now been justified by his blood. So instead of being found guilty, We are now justified before God. And this is where we lead into today's passage in verse 12. Therefore, just as sin entered the world through one man, and death through sin, and in this way death came to all people because all sin. Now if you look in your Bible, it's really strange because verse 12 begins with the word therefore. So Paul is actually going on to tell you all the good things that have happened because we are saved in Jesus Christ, Jew or Gentile. But in verse 12, he, he sort of gets stuck on this word, all sin. And in your Bible, you should have this little dash, right, after the word, all sin in verse 12. And then from verse 13 to verse 17, he explains all over again why every person has sinned, why all have sinned. Now you might sort of ask yourself the question, Why does Paul need to tell the reader, ourselves, the Roman Christians, all over again, that they have sinned? Because he's already, in chapter 1 to 5, told them that everybody has sinned, regardless of whether they are Jew or they are Gentile. I think it's because he's trying to look at sin from a different perspective, a different viewpoint. It's almost like, you know, when you see a tennis match or a soccer game when there is a you know someone scores a goal or someone hits a winner they will show the shot from different angles from the top of the you know from the top angle from the side angle from the close up view from behind the goal all those angles but now paul is looking at the fact that everybody sinned differently from what he did from chapter 1 to 4 and we can see it because he looks at it from the perspective of not the law but adam Because it says there in verse 13 and 14, to be sure, sin was in the world before the law was given. But sin is not charged against anyone's account where there is no law. Nevertheless, death reigned from the time of Adam to the time of Moses, even over those who did not sin by breaking a command as did Adam, who is a pattern of the one to come. So what Paul is saying here, what God's word is saying here in the next slide, is that here's the law, okay? and here was Moses, Moses gave the law to the people, and he's saying that look, even before Moses, even before the law was given, from this period, from Adam to Moses, there was sin. Isn't that what it says there? It says sin was in the world before the law was given. Now before the law was given, it says there that sin was not charged against anyone's account. Uh, that means that because there was no measure, there was no guide, you can't actually charge, you can't actually say exactly how badly you sinned because there is no, there is no uh, list of rules to compare against. But sin was there. And why was sin there? Well, in verse 14, because death reigned from the time of Adam to the time of Moses. Now, why do people die? Okay, I want to ask you a question, think for more. Why do people die? Uh, okay, the guy there in the white shirt. Okay, don't worry about that. Okay. Uh, okay, why do people die? Now, people do not die of natural causes. Alright, we, we know sometimes we look at the obituary, we think, okay, that guy died of natural causes, he lived to hundred something. Or someone you know died of unnatural causes, he he died by murder or sickness or something at a very young age. No, biblically speaking, people die because of sin. Death is actually unnatural, abnormal, because death was not supposed to be there in the beginning. Now, what was the biggest lie or the first lie that Satan ever told? Do you remember what was the first and biggest lie that Satan ever told? You will surely not die. Because that's what he told Eve. Okay, next slide. So right at the beginning, the woman said to the serpent, we may eat fruit from the trees in the garden, but God did say, you must not eat the fruit from the tree that's in the middle middle of the garden, and you must not touch it, or you will die. You will not surely die, the serpent said to the woman. But they did die. They did die because they disobeyed God. And in Genesis chapter uh, 3, 19 onwards, that's what happens, isn't it? Because God says to Adam, because you have done all these things, From thus you are, and thus you will return. And then God said that in verse 22, The man has now become like one of us, knowing good and evil. He must not be allowed to reach out his hand and take also from the tree of life and eat and live forever. So the argument that Paul gives and the Bible gives is very straightforward. Sin has come to all men, all people, regardless whether they're Jew or Gentile, because Adam sinned. Right from the very beginning, Adam was not a Jew, Adam was not a Gentile, and when he sinned, he brought sin to every single person in the world. Now why is it the sin of Adam affects us? Why is it the sin of Adam affects us? Well, it's because, first and foremost, Adam is like our representative. He represents us. He is the first of us. So, you know, you look at the Olympics, right, and uh, when Usain Bolt wins uh, some race, who wins? Is it Usain Bolt? No, it's Jamaica that wins, right? That's why they play the Jamaican national anthem. They don't play the Usain Bolt uh, anthem, right? It's Jamaica that wins. And the same way, when Adam sins, humanity sins as a result, because he is our representative. Now, when you look at the, the Genesis account, something strange happens Because actually, it wasn't Adam who sinned first, it was, it was Eve who sinned first. But yet, God doesn't call Eve to account, He calls God, uh, Adam to account. Why did you sin? Because Adam is our representative, He represents us, and when He sins, the rest of humanity is charged with sin. But it's wrong just to, uh, To blame Adam, you know, I remember my son once said, oh, you know, if only Adam didn't sin, we'd all be okay, right? You know, it's it's all Adam's fault. And I say to my son, and I said, well, didn't you get angry the other day? Didn't you lie the other day? And then, you know, he said, yes, I did. And the reality is actually, it's not just that Adam is our representative, but because of Adam's sin, it's almost as if all of humanity now, you and I are tainted by sin. We are all sinful just like our forefather. Adam. That's why in Genesis, uh, sorry Genesis, in Romans chapter 3, verse 9 to 11, if you turn back at me, Romans chapter 9, sorry 3 verse 9 to 11, <coughs> God's word very clearly says that regardless of whether you are a Jew or Gentile, all are under the power of sin. What should we conclude then? Do we have any advantage? Not at all. For we have already made the charge that Jews and Gentiles alike are all under the power of sin. As it is written, there is no one righteous, not even one. There is no one who understands. There is no one who seeks God. All have turned away. They have together become worthless. There is no one who does good, not even one. So what is happening here is, Paul is actually coming back all the way to the beginning of creation to show that sin was there from the beginning. Regardless whether you're a Jew or Gentile, all have sinned. We are all tainted by the sin of Adam. But the good news comes in verse 14, the, the, the last part of verse 14. Because God knew what Adam was going to do, and he was a pattern of the one to come. Isn't that a strange thing to say? Adam is a pattern of the one to come. So God knew that Adam was going to sin, but he knew that there was another one who was going to to do what Adam did, but in a positive way, not a negative way. Because Adam brings sin, death, and condemnation, but somebody else, through the good thing they do, they do, brings life and forgiveness and justification. So let's look at verse 15 to 19 to look at this pattern that has come to follow the pattern of Adam. Verse 15. But the gift is not like the trespass, for if the many died by the trespass of the one man, how much more the God's grace and the gift that came by the grace of the one man, Jesus Christ, overflow to the many. Nor can the gift of God be compared with the result of one man's sin. The judgment followed one sin and brought condemnation, but the gift followed many trespasses and brought justification. For if by the trespass of the one man death reigns through the one man, how much more will those who receive God's abundant provision of grace and of the gift of righteousness reign in life through the one man, Jesus Christ? So Adam was the old humanity. right? He brought, through his act of disobedience, uh, many things. right? So if you look up here on the slide, he brought many things. This passage, verse 15 to 17, is a very deep, dense passage. It's like, you know, But you know something is like drinking carnation milk by itself, right? You know? It's just not possible. It's just too sweet, right? You actually need to break it up because it's just too much. So actually when you look at it, it's, it's trying to compare what Adam did in the trespass of Adam and what Jesus did in his gift. So what did Adam do? Well, in his trespass, he brought sin, death, condemnation and disobedience. But the gift of Jesus brought grace, eternal life, justification, and obedience. And Jesus, it says here, has done a much greater thing. Because if you look at verse 15 and verse 17, the phrase that keeps coming out is, how much more, if the many die by the trespass of one man, how much more did God's grace and the gift that came by the grace of the one man overflow to the many? In verse 17, for if by the trespass of the one man death reigns for that one man, how much more will those who receive God's abundant provision of grace and the gift of righteousness reign in life through the one man, Jesus Christ? So what he's saying is, as, as bad uh, uh, outcome that uh, Adam brought when he sinned, how much greater is the good news that Jesus brings? Because Jesus brings a much greater work in his death on the cross. And you can sort of see in a few ways, isn't it? So think of it this way. What is easier to do? To go to Marina Bay Sands or Resort World and lose a lot of money or to earn it back? To have that debt forgiven. Obviously, it's very easy to lose money but hard to get the debt forgiven, isn't it? To earn it and pay it back. What is easier to do? To start a war or to bring peace? Much easier to start wars than to bring peace, isn't it? Peace is much harder to bring. Is it easy to spill milk or you know, get your shirt really dirty or is it to clean it up? As we will find out in spring cleaning. Right. What is it easier to do? To make things dirty or to clean things up? Obviously, it's much harder to clean things up. What is it easier to do? To kill or to raise to life? Obviously, to raise to life. See, what Jesus has done is much, much greater than the work or the trespass of Adam because he reverses all the negative things that Adam has done in his trespass and he's brought them back to a good thing. Peace, paying the debt, getting rid of the stain, raising to life. And then he comes, uh, in verse 18, uh the Bible, God's word, Paul, then brings the whole idea back to what he says back in verse 9 to verse 11. Because the same ideas are there. Reconciliation, justification, life, salvation. So the whole idea is now coming back to verse 12. Consequently, just as one trespass resulted in condemnation for all people, so also one righteous act resulted in justification and life for all people. For just as through the disobedience of one man the many were made sinners, so also through the disobedience of the one man the many, sorry, the obedience of the one man, the many will be made righteous. Now, when it says here, all people, or in the other earlier translation, all men, it doesn't mean every single person is saved. It doesn't mean that every single person will be justified. It doesn't mean every single person will be declared righteous. What the Bible is saying is, all types of people, regardless of whether they are Jews, or whether they are Gentiles, will be saved because of the act of Jesus Christ. And three words jump out of you as you read verse 18 to 19. The idea that all people will be justified in verse 18 and given life. The idea in verse 19 that they will be made righteous. Now, justification is a legal term. It means to be declared not guilty. You know, sometimes people think that uh, God will forgive us if we do more good things than bad things. Right? Sometimes you hear people say, well, you know, I, I did all these bad things, but at least I'm not as bad as the people who are murderers, or pimps, or human, you know, uh, drug traffickers, or, or human traffickers dealing, you know, bringing people across, or whatever, because we always think we're better than other people. But God doesn't exercise justice that way. Uh, God's justice is like a a supermarket scale, right? You know, It's like those checkout people where every time you sin, he will scan and he will record on his hard drive up in heaven all the bad things that you've done. And someone has to pay for it. And the gift of God is that through his grace, Jesus pays for every one of the wrong things, the sins that we've done. We are justified. But it also says there in verse 18 that we have life. See, when Adam sinned, he didn't bring just death, but he brought condemnation. That's why it says there in verse 18, isn't it? It brought condemnation. So death is not the final word, because after death, there is still judgment to come. See, C.S. Lewis says that we are all eternal creatures. Every human being, whoever lived is an eternal creature. It is whether you die and then face condemnation, or whether you receive eternal life. And what Jesus does reverses the effect of what Adam does, and brings life, real eternal life to people after death. And in verse 19, Through the obedience of the one man, many will be made righteous. That means when God looks at us, we are not at war with God anymore. We are right with Him. We are righteous before Him. Now these are great Truths, and these are things that we should not just acknowledge and say yes, yes, you know, like a multiple choice exam. But do you really rejoice that you are justified, that you are reconciled, that you are saved, and you have life. This is something you really that really thrills you and gives you a buzz. So I remember, um, someone, you know, uh, I went on this uh, tour in the uh, Singapore Museum. It's, it's really quite interesting. And you know, independence, you always see all those people raising their hands. And so what are they saying? Medeka, right? So actually, what does Medeka mean? Do you all know? What does it mean? Except for the Malaysians. What does it mean? Right? I can see people nodding their head. Okay, so what does Medeka mean? Medeka means independence of freedom. Now, in the same way as Christians, we, we, should, we should be raising our fists and say, you know, we are justified. We are reconciled. We are saved. We have life. We are righteous. Is that something that identifies us and marks us as Christians? Now, in verse 20 and verse 21, uh, Paul then goes back to the idea of the law again. and He says, The law was brought in so that the trespass might increase, but where sin increased, grace increased all the more. So that just as sin reigned in death, so also grace might reign through righteousness to bring eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. Now, the law cannot save, the law can only tell you how much you sin. See, it's just like uh, when I go for my blood test, you know, as you get older, you go for blood test, and uh, the blood test actually doesn't tell you how to live rightly, it just tells you, okay, your cholesterol level is very high, right, It puts a number on your cholesterol level, but it doesn't tell you how, you know, it basically measures all the sins that you committed in eating for the rest earlier in the year, but it doesn't actually stop you from eating the food that you shouldn't be eating, right? But even more than that, the law doesn't just account or, or give you an account or charge you of what you've done wrong, but but it says there that the law actually promotes sin. It says the law was brought in so that trespass might increase. So now that we are tainted with the sinful gene of Adam, when we know that something is bad, inherently in us we want to sin even more. So if I said to you, "Okay, from now on, chocolate is illegal. It's against the law. The church of, you know, the church has put out some mandate, you know, that chocolate is sinful. You should never eat chocolate again for the rest of your life." Well, then you, you start thinking maybe I, I I I suddenly have this really uh, craving for dark, rich dark chocolate, right? Uh, maybe you know really nice dark chocolate ice cream, you know, with, uh, cream on top and some bananas on the side. You know, mix with a bit of vanilla ice cream. Sounds really good, right? See so once you once you you know, I say something is really bad, then inside of us we are sort of like maybe we should go and try it because of, you know, I can't ha- have it anymore. Or let's say I say chili crab or chocolate or bad, you know, then you're like, it's the same thing. That's why it says there in verse twenty to twenty one that in the old way of living, in Adam, in the old humanity, it says there, The word reign, right? Sin reigned in death. See, So you have up here the, the, the idea that in the old humanity of Adam, because of Adam's sin, sin rules over us and death rules over us. But in the new humanity, what reigns there? Grace reigns in the new humanity in Jesus Christ. In the old pattern, there is only death as a ruler. In the new pattern of Jesus, there is only grace that reigns, that rules over us. Now, you might ask yourself, what's this got to do with um, mission? Right, why didn't I just preach on the book excerpt? Um, I think because I want us to see that what the Bible is saying here, and what God is saying here about Adam and about Jesus, should tell us about the totality of reality as we live here. It has, it's nothing more. There's nothing more important in this world than being in the new humanity with Jesus Christ. Because we are all born into the old, old humanity of Adam. When we are born, our default position is we are in the old humanity with Adam, ruled by sin and death. And it's only Jesus that we all become the new humanity where grace and life, and righteousness, and justification is. So when God looks at us, and as we look at the world, there are only two types of people. Uh, there are no different nationalities, there are no different cultures, there are no different uh, races, there are no different languages, there are only just two types of people. Those in Adam, and those in Jesus Christ. And If you are in the old humanity, what happens to you? If you believe God's word, what happens to you in the old humanity? You're in death. Death is your ruler. Sin is your ruler. Your Condemnation is your ruler. And everybody in the old humanity needs to have Jesus so that they are in the new humanity. So, what is the most important thing in life? It's for people to have this new humanity which only comes through the gift of God in Jesus Christ. And that's why missions is so important. Because it's not about just, you know, um, uh you know, our different differences because we look different or we live in different places or, or that we happen to speak different languages, the most important thing is are we in this new humanity? Now, I think uh, Lion made a good point when he came in and he said that, you know, uh, we need to connect with people and we need to be so salt and light of the world. But ultimately, people, they need the gospel, isn't it? They really need the gospel because they need to be saved. And it goes beyond uh, our context of where we live and how we live and what language we, we, we speak. Because when Jesus comes again and we're all taken up there, All those ways of looking at people will all be, will all be past. It will all be beyond us. Uh, We won't be asking each other anymore. Oh, what language did you speak? What color were you? Uh, You know, where did you live? What nationality were you in that stage? The only thing that will really matter is whether you're in the old humanity of Adam, or whether you're in the new humanity of Jesus. And because of that, we have to bring the gospel to people. Uh, I have friends of mine in Kenya and uh, they send me prayer letters and they tell me about how they face the dangers of, uh, you know, the, the crime rate is very high in Kenya. I have missionaries who I know in Kyrgyzstan who tell me that uh, they need a new visa every three months. They never know whether they need to pack up and go, depending on what the government says. Why do they waste their time doing that? Is it just because they want to bring humanitarian aid to people in Kenya or Kyrgyzstan? No, it's not, isn't it? It's because they see the world as God sees the world. That if they're all in the old humanity, what is their destination? They need to be in the new humanity in Jesus. And therefore, it is worth everything to bring people into this Jesus. To give people the knowledge of Jesus. So I want to end with just two challenges for you. In your own life, in the people that you meet with every day, who do you know who is still in the old humanity of Adam? The second question is, what will happen to them if they continue to be in the old humanity of Adam? What is their destiny? And the third question is, what are you going to do about it? Okay, let's go to God and pray. Dear Father, as we come to you, help us to see things as you see them. We believe your word in the Bible is trustworthy and faithful. It tells us of how things really are and it's only up to us to accept it or reject it. Teach us the truth that as we learn from Romans chapter 5, this is the truth of the world. That we are born into Adam, that fallen man, that sinful man who has shared his fallenness with each and every one of us and our destiny in Adam regardless of what we speak what skin color we are what nationality what race we are is only death condemnation and judgment and help us to see that we need all the more to be part of the new humanity in Jesus that through Jesus, we are saved, we are reconciled to you, we are justified, we are righteous, we have eternal life. And help us to see all the more that the people that we move among, the people that we mix with, the people that we live, uh, live at, that they too need to hear the good news of Jesus. For without Jesus, they are still in Adam. And we pray for all these things in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen.